commission given to the apostles and continued to us as well. As we look through this book, we not only learn of what God did, but we learn from that what His call to us is, what He calls us to do. So we will be continuing in this in Acts chapter 2, looking at verses 21 to 47. And Welcome to our guests. We're glad you're here. It's a privilege to have you with us. We pray God's blessing on you. God is a God who's alive. He speaks to us. He's active. He's given us this book that is His very words and for us and imparts life and guides us. So we're glad you're here. My name is Paul Buckley, and we pray that you would hear from the Lord. And actually, that's our prayer for everyone here, that as we look at His Word, as I seek to preach His Word accurately, dependent on Him, that we might hear His voice and then experience the life that He brings. So let's, let's stop and pray and ask for God to do just that. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, this wonderful life-imparting Word that You've given us. Lord, we love the life that You bring. Lord, and we taste it, we see it. Lord, in worship this morning, we have experienced Your life through Your truth in the power of the Spirit. And, and Lord, You are teaching us to, to love Your ways and long for You. And we thank You. And we thank You, Lord, that it doesn't just stop there, that You are active and You want to continue to feed us and lead us and impart life. So thank You for Your Word and Your purposes through Your Word. And so we ask You now, by the Holy Spirit, would You speak to us? And we thank You for Christ and His perfection, His death for us, His resurrection, that in Him we are received, forgiven and received by You, and now we can boldly approach the throne, not based on us, not presumptuously, but because of Christ. So we ask You, Lord, because of His mercy and Your grace and Your good intention, speak to us, bring Your life, accomplish Your purposes, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We are in verses 21 through 47. This is uh, actually connected to last message in Acts chapter 2 where Peter uh, gave a sermon on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit had been poured out uh, on the 120 in that large upper room. They had experienced the fulfillment of the promise of God to pour out His Spirit uh, on His people and to accomplish His purposes. And as they experienced this amazing fulfillment of this promise. The Spirit came. There was a sound like a tornado. There was fire, uh, like tongues of fire that came down to rest on their heads. They, they started to worship God and praise Him in languages, foreign languages that they previously had not learned. And they poured out of that upper room into the temple grounds, it looks like. And at that place, a crowd gathered and wondered, what in the world is going on here? And so Peter comes, he stands up and he brings a sermon, and we looked at last time, the first part of that sermon, where he explains the, the, what's going on in terms of the Spirit, in terms of people praying, and he says it's the fulfillment of God's promise, and from the book of Joel quotes that. So we spent time on that, and then he transitions in the sermon to this week's section. At the end of Joel, he, there's a verse there that's a transition verse, and we'll start with that and go through and read it, and then we'll talk about it. So, starting in verse 21, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 2.21 47. This is such a rich and wonderful passage. It is just packed full of so much. It's rich in, 
and, and wonderful, rich, and important for, for many reasons. It's a, a record for us, preserved of the birth of the New Covenant, the New Testament church. It's incredible and really earth-changing, universe-changing occasion. It's, it's rich and wonderful for that reason. It's, it's rich and wonderful for how it, it teaches us about the, the early church, their understanding of the gospel of Christ. This is uh, the first sermon given uh, by Peter. So we learn things about the early church and, and their understanding of Christ. There's, there's, there's lots of other reasons why this is a rich and important passage. But I, I want to focus on one. And, I, and I, this one reason I think is not... Is the I think the chief reason why it's important, why it's rich and important, at least one of the chief reasons, and that is that in this passage we, as a church in the 21st century in the Greater Haverhill area, we learn about what the church is supposed to be like. Now, this is a unique situation. It's it's historically very unique and important, but, but this picture in Acts 2 is a picture for us, for King of Grace Church in June of 2010 to understand what the church is supposed to be like. There's lots of ideas out there what the church is supposed to be like, what, what, what creates the church, what is important about the church, where, where the life of a church Originates. There's lots of ideas about the, out there, and, and, and lots of ideas that are, that are good, that have their place, that, that say if you want a church that's alive, this is what it needs to be or where it needs to go. Ideas out there that the church is called to be a community, a community working together to serve others, to serve the needs of the community, and, and yeah, there's truth to that. And, there's someone say, well, that's really what you need to be about. You need to be a, a really a, a group that's living in community, serving others. Or other ideas that you need to be a group that's living in community, kind of journeying, journeying through life, dialoguing on truth and trying to discover and learn what it is to be God's people. And there's truth in that. There's some that say the church is really, is, is really a lot like a, a business enterprise. It's, it's called to grow. And so, so the church needs to focus on, on using methods and doing things well like a business would to to grow and prosper and there's some truth in that and we want to learn from these things we want to be open-minded we we want to we want to to do the our best to study i I read books that talk about things like this i want to learn and but we don't stop there gk chesterton said the the object of opening the mind of having an open mind, the object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. We don't have open minds and just kind of explore ideas. The, the purpose of an open mind is like the purpose of an open mouth. It's to close it on something worth eating. It's to close it on some truth. Well, we have truth in Acts 2 that we can close our minds on to learn what the church is to be about. Let me kind of distill it for you and we'll take time to go through it. I, that the life of the church, the life of the church, the life of the church flows from the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. That's what Acts, as a book, teaches us. That's what Acts chapter 2 teaches us. The life of the church, 
be it the local church, the universal church, the historic church, the life of the church flows from the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. It doesn't flow from these other things. There is things to learn. It doesn't flow from those other other ideas. The the church truly, the life of the church flows from the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. So we're going to take time to to look at that. And really, this this passage divides very neatly into two topics. First, the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. So we're going to take time to look at Peter's Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. And then we're going to talk about how the life of the church flows from that. So this, the latter part, uh, verses 42 to 47, are a picture of the life that flows from the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. I think you have notes uh, provided in the bulletin that you can use, if that helps you. But first, the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. We know that the Spirit has been poured out here. The Spirit has come on the 120 that were probably crammed in that upper room and and. And they've gone out and they're, they're praising God in tongues in these foreign languages and, and people are gathered. Peter explains what's going on then transitions, transitions in the sermon to talk about Christ. And he transitions with verse 21, which is right from Joel, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter wants to get to the real point in his sermon. He wants to explain what's going on. The pouring out of the Spirit is important. But ultimately, the pouring out of the Spirit and what Peter's getting at is to point to Jesus Christ. So he transitions in his sermon to start to talk about Christ. That that in these days, these last days that Joel talks about, as the Spirit's being poured out on His people in an unprecedented way, and as God is preparing to finish all things and bring final judgment... Because He is God. He has prerogative to do that. He's good. He must do that. As these days are drawing to a close, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How? What? What's that about? Who is the Lord? Well, Peter explains in the next part. He talks about Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see it in that section? How many times he mentions Jesus? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Later on, In verse 23, this Jesus. Again in verse 32, this Jesus. And then the clincher at the end. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Peter focuses his message on Jesus. And I want to talk more about that, but before we do that, do you, notice, do you notice just thinking about the life story of Peter? Do you notice something different here than the Peter we see in the Gospels? I mean, there's good things in the Peter in the Gospels, but there is just some, there's authority, there's clarity, there's a boldness, there's a strength. This isn't the Peter that denied Christ. This is, this is Peter with the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. Now, he's been discipled. He's been given the elements of these truths. He's walked with Christ. That is a huge aspect of that. But this is is Peter on the day of Pentecost. Luke has included this picture here to illustrate the theme of Acts, that God has called His people to be witnesses in the power of the Spirit to all the nations. And so we're seeing an illustration in the life of Peter right here in this sermon. This this is Spirit-empowered witnessing 
in the life of Peter. He is preaching in the power of the Spirit. And in the power of the Spirit, I mean, I don't, we don't know how all it works. There's, the, the Scripture doesn't tell us every little detail about the mechanics of how that works. But, but I think somehow what's going on is there's something in Peter being stirred up. There's something operating in him and in his natural gifts, taking him beyond those gifts and allowing him to be clear and, and compelling in what he says. But it's more than that because it, it looks like the Spirit is working on the people he's speaking to because as they listen, what happens? They're cut to the heart. Good words from a good uh, rhetorician do not cut people to the heart in that same way, that dramatically for Jews who would, would, would be repulsed by some of these ideas. The Spirit is at work, and 3,000 are added that day. The Spirit is at work. This is Spirit-empowered preaching. It's not enough to be merely correct in your preaching. It's not enough to be merely exegetically correct. It's not enough to be merely biblically accurate. That is necessary, but not adequate. It's not enough to be merely knowledgeable and believable. It's not even enough to have a holy life that backs up the message. All those things are necessary, but not adequate. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our proclamation of Christ, in our sharing of Christ. And that's true for the pastor and preacher. It's true for anybody, any believer. As we share Christ, as we, even if it's just a little snippet of truth, we need the power of the Spirit. It's not enough to be accurate. It's not enough to be knowledgeable. It's not enough to have a life, a walk that backs up the talk. We need the Spirit. We need power. That's what Acts teaches us. And it's a reminder, isn't it? Because we go about thinking that those other things are adequate when they're not. And God calls us back through Acts to a dependency on the Holy Spirit, a hunger. We, we read this sermon and, and we think this is amazing and we see the results and, and we're hungry for it. And, and, and the call here isn't to just kind of learn the technique that Peter had in terms of his rhetoric and presentation, as profitable as that might be, the, the call here is to say, Oh, God, Holy Spirit, fill me with that same power. Pour out Your power on me and on us that when we proclaim Christ crucified and risen, there will be fruit like this. And Your purposes will be accomplished. This is Spirit-empowered preaching. And Peter does such a great job of it. Again, the, the purpose of the Spirit, though, the, the third person of the Trinity, we are to actively seek His presence. He is a living being. He's a He, not an it. There is to be a life of dependency and sensitivity to the Spirit. But, but you'll know the Spirit is at work because the Spirit's desire is to lift Jesus up. The Spirit wants to lift Jesus up through His gifts, through His working to, to draw the attention to Christ and through Christ to bring glory to the Father. So Peter does that in the message. In the power of the Spirit, he talks about Christ. Christ is at the center of this message. He didn't just tell stories. He didn't just share Bible verses. He, in all these things, pointed to Christ. He pointed to Christ. He starts out in the beginning talking about the life of Christ. Now, he had an advantage with this crowd because they had been around, a lot of them had been around, and, 
and had seen Christ, or at least had heard about Him. And so he talks about his life, he, the, the mighty one, works and wonders and signs that he did. He says his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth is a real place. It's a town that probably some of them were from and knew Christ. So he points to the life of Christ. He points to, to this, uh, this person. He's a man. He's a man who lived a life. And, and he's a man who did wonders. That God, it's, God worked wonders through him. And, and these wonders were ultimately signs that attested to something. They attested to the fact that this is God's anointed one. The attestation of God through these signs and wonders is to say that this is my anointed one. This is Jesus the King. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. And ultimately gifts, the apostles operating gifts, the, the church today can operate in many of these gifts. They're ultimately there to attest that this is of God. This is Him at work. They are signs. They, they point in a direction. So, so Peter talks about the life of Christ and, and, and how He lived and what went on in His life. And then he talks about His crucifixion. These basic elements of, of the Gospel, these basic elements of the proclamation of Christ include His life. It includes His, his crucifixion. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This Jesus was crucified. Now, there's a unique, unique situation here that the people that Peter's speaking to were somewhat, we, really every, every human, I guess, in some way is responsible for his crucifixion, but these people were more directly responsible. They had been a party to his crucifixion in some way. So as Peter's talking to them, he says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, by the hands of, of the Romans, that you crucified him, that, that Christ was crucified. Peter points to his crucifixion. Now, we know about the crucifixion in this particular message. Peter, at least record, what's recorded here, isn't getting into the, the, the meaning of that and the depth of that, but we know in that crucifixion that Christ was crucified willingly. He went to the cross. He went to the cross to die for sins. He went to the cross to pay the penalty, to be the payment for our sins. It wasn't just a random act. It wasn't just a demonstration of how far someone might go in their devotion to God. Certainly it was that. But it was more than that. It was an actual payment through His life offered up, through His life given, through the, the, the wrath of God, the holy justice of God poured out on Christ, the penalty for your sins, if you would believe in Him, the penalty for your sins are completely paid for. Past, present, and future. All of them. He paid for those sins, your sins, living in the year 2010. He paid for those sins when He died on the cross. He paid for them in that crucifixion. He died the death that you deserve to die, that I deserve to die in my sin. We are all sinners. We all, all have this insane predisposition to ignore God, to run from God, to be our own God, to ignore His holy ways to deny the obvious good of the call to love Him with everything we are and to love each other as, as ourselves. We all have sinned and, and we are guilty before God. God's not a fool. He's not a, a, a blind grandfather. He's good. He's gracious. He's patient. But He's holy and just and He must not ignore sin. And so He, he deals with it. 
And for all those who would come to Christ, he deals with it by pouring out the just penalty on his son. The son was crucified. God was crucified for sin. That's a whole other message in itself. Just amazing truth. And Peter touches on that. These, these folks were Jewish. They knew their Bibles. So he can, talk, he can use the word crucifixion. This one was crucified. And they would have probably been, would have been processing a lot of things that I just said. Um, they would understand just the, 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 the contrast, the, the paradox, the confusion that, that Christ, the Christ, would be crucified. And, and so there's a lot going on in what Peter's saying here. So he, he talks about his life. He talks about his crucifixion. And, he, and then he points to Psalm 16, that first section, I saw the Lord always before me. Um, Psalm, actually that's 110. And then the other section, Psalm 16, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand. I think I have that right. Yeah. Uh, Psalm 16, then Psalm 110. So these two Psalms that spoke of Christ. Psalm 16 first, sorry. Uh, he, these two Psalms that spoke of Christ. That David gave these psalms, that David spoke these things, and he ultimately was speaking of Christ. That God had promised not to abandon His Holy One to the grave. Now, Peter points out, we, we know uh, David said these things. He said that God would not abandon His Holy One to the grave, to, to Hades. He, uh, he would not see corruption, so uh, decay and so forth. But we know David's buried right here in this tomb. So David was speaking of the Christ who's to come. He could not be held by the pangs of death. He could not remain in the grave because God had promised in the Psalms, because God had promised and and planned to raise Him from the dead. And and that promise and plan flowed from, from the justice and wisdom of God because when the Son died for sin, He obeyed God completely. And, and, and he paid for sin completely. And the Father approved what he, of what he did. And so he, in his holiness and in his wisdom and justice, had to raise the Son and exalt the Son because the Son accomplished all righteousness. The Son did what no one else did, could do, did do. He did it. And so the Father raised him from the grave. Peter points to that. It's interesting in, in pointing to his resurrection, he speaks that we are all witnesses to this. So he speaks about his life. He speaks about his crucifixion. He speaks about his resurrection and says we are all witnesses to this. Speaking, I believe, of the 120. And then he goes somewhere with that too. It was a shock enough to hear and to know that a crucified man was raised from the dead. That a crucified man who was put to death in this brutal way, uh, that an expert way to kill somebody, an expert way to torture and kill someone, that this one was raised from the dead. But, but Peter goes further with it. He says, "...being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing." And he says he was not only raised, but but he was exalted and received from the Father this promise of the Holy Spirit. He, he earned the right to be the distributor of this promise of the Holy Spirit. So this pouring out that you're seeing is from this Jesus of Nazareth who was exalted to the point of being the one who distributed the Spirit under the Father. So he has, not only is he raised from the dead, but he has this exalted place with the Father. And then he has a quotation from Psalm 110. 
the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord said to my Lord, David says, the Lord said to my Lord, my God says to my God, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter is exalting Christ through this message. And there's a lot going on with the listeners here. He is exalting Christ. Not only did, was, was he attested by God through his miracles and then was crucified and raised, but now he's exalted to the place. He's called God himself. He sits at the right hand of God. And he is reigning with God till all his enemies are made his footstool. He is lifting Christ up very high through this message. He's pointing to Christ and his authority and then finishes with that call that summation, that powerful, that powerful truth that cuts to the heart, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. That God has made Him both God and King. This Jesus whom you crucified. He lifts Jesus up in the power of the Spirit in this message. And it is a wonderful sermon, a wonderful example. And Acts actually is full of many examples of this. One of the themes in Acts is as, as, as they fulfill the commission to be His witnesses through, through, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, is they do just this over and over again. They proclaim Christ in the power of the Spirit and we see results over and over again. The life of the church, the, the life of Christians flow, flows from this proclamation. So, this one is a message, the first one, given to Jews. Later on, you'll see in, in uh, Derby, I think it is, and then in Athens, uh, they proclaim Christ as well in the power of the Spirit, but it looks a little different. It's a Gentile audience, and, and there are different elements, but, but the, same, the same Christ-centered focus, the same pointing to Jesus in His death and resurrection and His authority is there, and the power of the Spirit is there, and there are results. And notice something in the passage that Peter doesn't just stop there and say, well, I guess I got the key information. See you guys tomorrow. And that's the end. That's not what happens. The story doesn't end there. Peter does a fantastic job in the power of the Spirit pointing to Jesus. And what happens? There's a response to that preaching. There's a response to that preaching. The the people listening are cut to the heart and respond. Peter goes on for another paragraph saying, guys, respond to this. Respond to it. Respond to it. The the message of the Gospel and the power of the Spirit is not something we just hear and then move on. It mustn't be. It it is too earth-shattering. It is too significant to do that. And, and sadly, I think, because we live in a, a, a culture that, yes, though increasingly is post-Christian, is still Christianized to the point where the Gospel has been there, done that. And we just think, okay, yeah, whatever. Heard the Gospel again. The Gospel is not like that. It's an amazing story about God's appointed King who comes to rescue us from our sin and, and, and lead us in life in Him and wrap everything up in Christ. Listening to this message and then moving on would be like sitting in your beach house in the summertime, if you have a beach house, or if you rent one. Sitting in your beach house and you're, you're there catching your favorite, your favorite show on the television. 
And in the middle of the show, all of a sudden, that bullseye thing comes up. You guys remember the bullseye thing that used to run on the TV at nighttime when they ran out of stuff to show? How many people can remember that? I, all right, there's a cutoff here, about 35, I think, 30 or so. Uh, that's how it used to be. There was a bullseye. And then there was that tone that went with the bullseye, right? Right? Can you, and the purpose of that, that was to fill the time, and it was emergency broadcasting, right? To, in the event of an emergency, your local broadcasters will let you know what to do, right? So you're sitting at the beach, back to that story, sitting at the beach, watching your favorite television show, and all of a sudden, the bullseye comes up, and the tone, and there's a notice that goes down and says, a major tsunami is on its way to the East Coast. You must move to higher ground. And just as you finish reading that, there's a knock on the door. National Guard, got to evacuate the trucks outside. And you hear all that, and you say, well, uh, my, uh, my favorite show's on next. Uh, American Idol's coming on. American Idol, I love it. i got to see, like, it's down to the last two contestants. And I don't know, you know, I mean, is it going to be Bobby or Cindy? I don't know, you know, and they're both great. You know, I, can, can we just do this some other time, please? That's what it's like to hear the gospel message and not respond. This is the message of messages. This is the truth of truth. Everything is about this. Everything is about what you think about this. All of life and all of your eternity is about this message. Not just for the unbeliever. Not just for the one who has yet to understand and place their faith in this. And if you are in that place, you are so welcome here. We want to be patient with you. Though we believe this message is so important, we believe it does take time to process and God is patient, but there's an urgency here. But not just for the person who's yet to believe. For the believer as well, this is the most important message you could ever hear at any given time. And the life of the church does not flow from this message just on that first day. The life of the church is not merely created by the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ, but the life of the church is sustained by the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. The life of the church is sanctified. It is set apart and made like Christ through the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. The, The life of the church, the people of the church are sent by the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. You are saved. You are sanctified. You are sustained. You are sent all by the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. So this message is not one that we just kind of ignore and move on. Peter knows that. The crowd knows that here. So Peter pleads with them. They say, brothers, we get it. What shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Respond to this. Receive it. Turn from self-sufficiency and sin and put your faith in Christ and express that faith in baptism. And the symbol of baptism, that sign, that that God-anointed sign of that inward work of, of faith and trust. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You're forgiven as you receive Him. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Respond. Receive. For the promise is for you and for your children 
Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Guys, listen to this. Hear this message. Save yourself. The, the National Guardsmen's at the door knocking. The tsunami's on the way. Respond and save yourself from this broken world. Save yourself. The message of the Gospel calls for a response. We must call others to respond to it. We must ask the Holy Spirit to give us the anointing that when we share it, be it in quiet words or loud words, simple statements or long explanations, whichever, that as we do that, that God Himself would, would work and grant us that urgency, that appropriate expression of it, and grant a response to it. The Gospel is a message that must be responded to. And we see in this passage there is a response. Oh, how wonderful. What a, what a wonderful picture. So those who received His Word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people added to the church. Can you imagine? What would that do? If, if, if as we walk in faith and obedience, we seek to, to re- proclaim Christ, relying on the Holy Spirit, and God adds 3,000 people to us, there's, there's, plenty of, there's more than 3,000 people around here, by the way, who don't yet know Christ. And, and I would bet that there's way more than 3,000 that have not heard a clear and concise gospel presentation, have not heard a clear and concise uh, account of who Christ is and what He did. So can you imagine 3,000? 3,000 added? What would we do? We couldn't fit them in here. It would actually kind of be a mess, a little bit of a mess, wouldn't it? I mean, it would just, like, how do we handle 3,000? I mean, we'd have to figure out how to get them in here in shifts. The parking wouldn't work, actually. Uh, the parking wouldn't work. Can you imagine children's ministry? I mean, it not, it's just going to be kind of... I don't, I don't know, maybe we should forget about this whole thing. 3,000 people. No, I know that's not your heart. And, yeah, it may be messy. It may be intimidating. Uh, our comfort zones might, might get broken up. But it's all worth it. And the purpose of Acts chapter 2, one of the purposes of Acts chapter 2 is to give us a picture of what it looks like and what it can look like and to hunger for it and say, Lord, I, I don't care. I don't care if it's messy. I don't care if there's folks here who, are, who aren't, don't know the rules and do stupid things that we think are stupid at least. I, I don't care. This is glorious. And this is what I want to see. And we'll figure it out. And you know what? The Gospel is going to be adequate in the power of the Spirit to work it out. As we look to Him, the living God in our midst, as we center ourselves on Christ, as we continue to to share Christ and and, and do this Spirit-empowered proclamation one to another, to the new folks, God's going to take care of all those things. God's going to grow. God's going to work. And that's isn't that what this book's about? 3,000 out of that day, did, did, did that shut things down in Jerusalem? Was that the end of the story? Did they face challenges? 
Yes. How do they overcome? Kept on looking to Christ, proclaiming Christ, relying on the Spirit. And God worked and expanded and did glorious things. And what results, what wonderful results we see here as a church devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They're devoted to this teaching about Jesus. They want more. They, they, they want to hear it. They want to learn. They're devoted to the teaching and the fellowship. They're devoting to not only hearing the message, but coming together in this Christ-centered friendship and partnership. And in that partnership, to live the life together. And what an what a amazing picture here of that life. They, they lived together. They had all things in common. They prayed together. They're breaking bread. They're sharing meals, probably sharing the Lord's Supper together, remembering Christ crucified, praying together. They're selling their possessions. Can you imagine that? They're selling their stuff. They're selling their stuff and distributing to those as they had need. That's when you know the gospel's got a grip on folks, when they start selling their stuff as needed. Now, I don't think the pastor says, you know, if you're a believer, you must just right now sell your stuff. We'll, we'll have a, someone with the books over here later to account for your stuff. You know, not, not, that's, not what it's, that's not the point here. It's as needed. But that's when you know that the gospel has had traction in someone's life, when they no longer look at material possessions the same way, that material possessions become expendable for the purposes of the kingdom. And that's what's going on in this church. They sell their possessions to distribute to those as any had need. There were a lot of pilgrims from other places there in that church, birthed in that church, and they knew we need to take care of these folks. These are our brothers and sisters. We can't let them stay out in the cold. We must love them as ourselves. So they sell their stuff, provide for folks, whether it's to provide rentals or I don't know where the money went, how it was spent, but it was to provide for people. So they have there's this wonderful fellowship and then the apostles are operating in their gifts. There's wonders and signs being done and the people are in awe and joy. There's this combination of awe and joy there because it, it, we see the, the word awe came upon every soul and then later they are, are receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. What a wonderful picture of the results of the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. It is a glorious picture. But this isn't a picture that we just leave on the wall. This isn't like Washington Cross in the Delaware. You know, we, we put it on the wall and we think, well, that was so significant and cool that they did that. You know, and that's, that's it. This is a picture, yes, indeed, to, to look at and to be in awe and say, wow, but to emulate as well. To emulate as well, to walk in. There's a pattern here that we are to walk in. Now, there are differences. Uh, Peter's not around. The eleven aren't around. But the, but the gospel's around. The Holy Spirit's around. The gifts are around. The mission is around. So this is to, to be emulated as well. Are you hungry for this? Have you looked at the picture and been inspired? That's what Acts 2 is supposed to do for us. It is to be a picture that inspires us, to make us hungry. And if the bank could come up as we close. This is happening, guys. And God is sovereign over how and when, and there's different things in Acts. Sometimes 3,000 are added. Sometimes Paul gets stoned, dragged out of the city and stoned. We, we can't determine those results. 
But there's all sorts of things that happen when Christ is proclaimed in the power of the Spirit. And right now, there's so much going on in the world. We live at one of the most exciting times to be a believer. China's seen, they report 10,000 converts a day. Latin America has reported 8,000 converts a day. By the year 2050, it's predicted that India and China together will have more Christians in them than the United States. In Massachusetts, from the years 2000 to 2005, 100 churches were planted. So add another 100 or more. There's stuff going on here as well. I, I was looking at some stats. Massachusetts and Vermont have the fastest growing church attendance at gospel preaching churches of any state in the United States. Isn't that amazing and encouraging? Part of it is that when you start at zero, you've got a lot to grow. Uh, <laughs> but it's the highest rate. Vermont, I think it's Vermont, Massachusetts, the highest rate. That's good news. God is interested in doing what's in the book. And our call as His people is, is not to say, God, nah, ain't going to happen here. Don't you know this is Haverhill? This is Massachusetts. No, our, our call is to say, oh God, whatever it takes, would you do it? And would you use me? Would you give me faith and a hunger for this? To get together to pray and to ask in small groups on Sunday mornings and Saturday mornings now to, to, to yearn that the Gospel gets proclaimed in all these contexts we have. Sundays, care groups, growth groups, ladies fellowship, men's fellowship, whatever youth fellowship, whatever group we have. And through that, as God works, we see results like this. For His glory. For our good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Acts chapter 2. We thank You for this vivid, inspiring portrait of the reality that the life of the church flows from Spirit-empowered proclamation of Christ. We thank You for the picture And we ask You, Lord, we say as a church for us, and we would ask this for any and all churches in this area who proclaim Christ, would You work these things in us? Would You pour out Your Spirit? Lord, even this week we ask You, as we seek to share Christ one with another, as we seek to share Christ with those who don't know You, would You come and empower us, Holy Spirit? Would You work? And would You bring in this harvest, Lord? Would You add thousands to us for their sake, O God? They don't even know what they need ultimately. For their sake, would You open blind eyes? And through all this, for the sake of Your great and glorious name, would You do these things? And would You use us, Lord, each of us, however You want, O God? For these purposes we pray. Amen. A prayer to the Lord that He would uh, pour out His Spirit.